0: Greetings ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this latest episode of Tales, Tales from Outer, from Space, Outer Space. Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY. The links to all the stories will be down below, and as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider subscribing. Story number one. A human ordnance technician introduces himself. Written by Hexa Nano. It's kind of funny how mundane sort of way. All these sapient species in the galaxy, and only one has ever really thought to disarm bombs in place of a safe or semi-safe detonations. Well, they probably tried it, blew up, and decided it was a waste of time. And there weren't even that many who used explosives that weren't on a rocket anyway, so bombs and the like were incredibly rare. And then they met humanity, and then... Their dissenters and terrorists got their graspers on human explosives, and then they learned of the need for both an ordnance technician and someone who could safely dispose of any armed ordnance, all because of an attempted coup. Wanted, neither of those in power nor those seeking power were without blame, and we weren't allied with them in any way, but we really didn't want to see innocents die." so we sent a disposal unit to save a few lives. That was when the galactic community realized that humanity was really damn good with explosives and that the solution to all the new homegrown terrorists with their reverse-engineered human explosives was humans. Tucker, huh? After this massive leap of logic, a new type of soldier was created. The Human Ordnance Technician, the H.O.T., It's not been good for our collective ego. So, here I am, introducing myself to a new group of Xenos. Hello, my name is William Brass, and I will be your Human Ordnance Technician for the foreseeable future. Before you ask any questions, just let me give you the usual spiel, okay? After receiving no negative responses, I proceeded with my spiel. Now, I'm sure you were briefed about the Alzarian coup last year, but just in case, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Some Alzarian dissenters decided that they'd be better leaders than the current ones and decided the best way to show this was by blowing the leaders, an assortment of foreign dignitaries, and a few hundred Alzarian and foreign citizens, the freaking smithereens. Humanity took exception to that and saved the day without a single injury save for the Alzarian president getting in a concussion after running into a pole during a strategic retreat. I am sure that my disdain was thick enough to cut with a knife, and it seems that my new partners all agreed by sniggering and sniggering analogues I heard. After that, it was decided that human ordnance technicians would be more of a standard part of any significantly sized or Purpose Military and or Law Enforcement Group, and thus ensure that they would both be where we would be needed and be spread out evenly enough to ensure that we could be called upon when needed. Now, as the Human ordnance Technician, or H.O.T., I have some standard kit that you'll all do, a pistol sidearm, a knife for hand-to-hand combat, rations, that sort of thing. But in conclusion to that, I also have my H.O.T. specific kit, a bomb diffusal geared HUD, bomb diffusal equipment, non mobile bomb resistant armor, compact claymore mines, compact land mines, assortment of hand grenades, a grenade launcher with ammo, an operational rocket propelled grenade for when we need a large explosion someplace and we can't reach through stealth, and enough C4 and associated detonators and wiring to get in and out of most military bases. Plus, a few of my own personal odds and ends that I've found useful over the years. Magnets, city party, gum, paper clips, fishing line, crayons, aerosol deodorant, watercolor paints, canisters, lighters, and my lucky cherry bomb. Any questions about what I've said before I move on? Hmm? Yes? Huh? Kasnebe is my name. You said that you have a bomb defusal equipment. Why do you have that? Don't you make and set the bombs? Well... Yes, I do, and normal ordnance technicians in the human military usually don't defuse bombs, but as a human ordnance technician, I have to fulfill both roles, which means that I'll eventually have to spend some time elbow deep in the enemy's bomb. How do you withstand the strain of doing that, or being so close to the enemy explosives? Well, I spend a lot of time with my explosives, so it's less stressful because of that, and the way I see it, If I make a mistake and can't activate my armor in time, it'll be someone else's problem by then. And what's your question, miss? VINV, sir, you mentioned a non-mobile armor of some sort, said the bipedal hexapod gecko. Yes, the BRA. It's a specific version of your standard force field armor, except that it doesn't function well in motion. But when it works, it allows me to shrug off most explosives that I can expect to come across and it also makes for a wonderful fortification for allies to fire from as long as you can hide behind me, since I can activate and deactivate it in a split second. The moment I finished answering Vim's question, there was another waiting to be asked. This time a string that looked like a player character from a dad octopus game from the early 21st century. My name is Nodika, and I was curious about the difference between the two minds you mentioned. Well, a landmine is buried beneath, then substrate and detonated when someone steps on it, then off of it. It's good for area denial, but over the centuries we've figured out new uses, and with the new ones being one-sixth the size of the older models, it's easy to carry them in case. The claymore mines are stood up and out of sight of the enemy and in areas where we expect to be walking through and are detonated when someone walks too close to a certain patch of space in front of them. Good for traps in urban environments, especially ones with little wildlife. Now it was time for what I can only describe as a judoon to ask a question. I'm Nim, what are grenades? Well, that was succinct projectile explosives. Hand grenades are meant to be thrown by hand. Grenade launcher is a natural progression of this. Essentially, a gun that shoots grenades. Both of these grenades tend to be fragment grenades, which are built to throw shrapnel in a 360-degree radius around them. So, when I toss one, make sure that it lands out of your line of sight and that there's something sturdy between it and you." And the rocket propelled grenade, or RPG, is a very large grenade, more like a small missile, that is fired from the shoulder mounted device and is essentially for times where I can't get an explosive 70 plus meters away from me, either due to stealth difficulties or obstructions that I can't launch a grenade through. Like unarmed doors or walls, as an RPG can punch through a variety of obstructions before detonating and your question is the perfect segue into the end of my spiel. I am going to recite a few pertinent maxims of the 70 maxims of the maximally effective mercenaries, for you to keep in mind if I am out of action or otherwise unable to provide instructions or advice. Maxim 62. Anything labeled, this end towards enemy, is dangerous on both ends. Both my carry and RPGs can be considered to be labeled as such. When fired, an RPG will throw fire at its back end and the firing mechanism, and once armed with an advisable to wholly avoid the claymore. Even though they're designed to explode only in one direction, it is not fun to be on the other direction. Maxim 61. Don't bring big grenades into a small room. If you need to use my explosives in my absence, be sure not to use too big of a device for the situation. A big grenade in a small room will do more damage, and you'll be closer to the explosion. Maxim 44. If it'll blow a hole in the ground, it'll double as an entrenching tool. Both the RPG and C4 can do this, and my C4 detonation equipment can also blow through most other obstructions, especially with the plastic explosive breakthroughs in the 2430s, which dovetails nicely with Maxim 10. Sometimes the only way out is through through the howl, Sometimes we won't be able to take an existing path due to rubble or overwhelming amounts of enemy fire. So sometimes we need to make our own paths. If there is a wall in our way, then we blow it away. If there isn't a path, then we make one ourselves. And lastly, and most importantly, maxim number three. An ordnance technician at a dead run outranks everybody. I don't care who's there, I don't care where they are, and I don't care where I'm going. If you see me suddenly running as fast as I can, then you follow. I don't care if I'm running towards the enemy, or a cliff, or whatever, because I guarantee that whatever I'm running from is more significantly worse than whatever I'm running towards. End of story number one. Story number 2. The Art of Not Fighting Humans Written by Dutch Guy Waffle She sat down in a comfortable chair, not quite sure what she had expected from the office of one of the former Lord Admirals of the Navy. It certainly wasn't a small room full of bookcases and artifacts she found herself in. She took a good look at the man himself, noticing the lightning and the feathers around his eyes, showing his age and wisdom according to the old Makati culture. "'Thank you for allowing me this interview, Lord Admiral Karaku,' she said, dipping her head slightly. "'I understand it's a bit of a... Um, sole subject with you.' The man sent her a smile, of small fangs on display and a rare show of openness. "'Please, Miss Harak." It has been a long time since I held that title, just Karaku will suffice. She nodded. All right, Mr. Karaku, do you mind if we begin? He waved his hand. By all means. She took a moment to compile the questions, activating a recording program and taking a deep breath. Mr. Karaku, thank you for having me. You were the lead admiral in the Gamma Equina Cluster campaign, and you described this as your new autobiography, the art of not Fighting humans. Can you give us a quick summary of the factors leading up to the conflict? The former admiral sat back and looked out the window. Two decades ago, we came into contact with the Federated Systems, the human government, over a small cluster of galactic east, it was a small cluster, but very strategically important. The one who held it would have access to several jump points into outer space. Suffice to say that when humans staked their claim there, they assembly reacted uh, badly. He looked at her again. There were some token negotiations, but in the end the politicians trusted the military more than the diplomats. He chuckled. It never ceases to amuse me how quickly they changed their tune. So you immediately declared war on the Federated Systems. He took a moment to gather his thoughts. Yes, but I think it is important to nuance the statement a bit. She looked at him incuriously. How so? He shifted his seat. Well... War in those days meant something else to us. We were expecting to go into a cluster and fight some token battles, and then take the system and its industry with minimal loss of life. That is how it had gone between the major galactic powers for centuries, you see. We knew the humans were a military inferior, so we didn't expect the strategic carpoche we found ourselves in. It. you'll excuse my language. I see... So, what happened that turned the campaign into such a carbosh, as you put it? He took another moment. Have you ever heard of the Quintus Flavius Maximus? She shook her head, motioning for him to continue. He was a military tactician who lived several millennia ago. He famously avoided battle with a feared enemy opponent. Harak frowned. Excuse me, he avoided battle. How did that help him win? Well... What he did was deny the enemy direct confrontation, harassing him as he chased him down his army. This way he preserved his own forces while weakening the enemy. Right, and this is what happened in the Gamma Equina Cluster? she asked. Yes, to an extent. The leader of the human forces, Commodore Ruth Beatty, if I remember correctly, knew she couldn't face us in open battle with a fleet of flight patrol vessels. All she had were heavy cruisers and two-line carriers and front-line battle units. We figured she'd surrender as soon as we entered the Haketa system. But when we jumped in, there was nobody there except for an automated weapons platform and mines. He shuddered, and his feathers rolled over his head. And the drones, of course. Those never damned enough drones. Did you know that a human light carrier can hold up to three thousand combat drones? Absolutely mad, I tell you. Noticing he was getting slightly off topic, she directed him back. And how did this impact the campaign as a whole? It slowed us down, mostly. We thought them cowardly or craven for fleeing from battle, a battle that could end the war in one go. But they seemed adamant on pleading us for every light second we took. Every time we entered a system, the human fleet, if you could call it that, wasn't ready leaving having filled the system with minefields, drones, jammers, the like. We lost most of our light units like that, never mind the raids. The formal admiral shook his head. It was, uh, frustrating, to say the least. Harrowing, even. Harrowing? How? Imagine the following, Miss Herrick. You are on a ship, a battleship in a mighty assembled navy, almost untouchable unless the enemy has ships of equal size or ship-killer. You might be safe, but the other ships aren't. Imagine people, friends, family, what will you? On smaller ships dying to traps and hostiles that are gone before you can orient the guns enough to do anything about them. They are dying, and you can't do anything about it. There is a new glint in his eye, almost mad. That sounds... uh, I don't know. I don't have the words for it. Exactly... The man seemed almost happy to that he had someone to share his pain with. Not so strange I retired after the war, is it? Definitely not, sir. But why did you call it a debacle? The human fleet was destroyed in the Battle of Galita 11-3, and mostly due to your strategic genius. Pfft, he puffed. Strategic genius? Is that what they call sacrificing 10,000 lives to kill a fleet of three ships and their escorts? The only reason we got them into direct battle was because they were eyed there. Thousands of civilians, they couldn't not protect them. He sighed, his feathers by his mouth rustling. I lost seven cruisers, twelve frigates, and most of my corvette screen to the trip on the battle. Believe me, it wasn't a victory. It's a thirty-year ceasefire, he sagged. Believe me when I tell you, Miss Harak, you don't fight humans. Humans! fight you. End of story number two. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.